Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Take your Bibles. We're in Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to read a few verses of Scripture this morning, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, Who do you say that I am? And Peter then answered and said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Father, would you add your anointing? To the preaching of your word this morning, touch hearts, touch lives, both that are in this room, that are online, those that are watching now, those that will view this message uh, in the days, weeks, and months ahead. Let the presence of God and the power of the Spirit flow in this message this morning through your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In order to understand this passage in its fullest degree, you know, you've got to know the background. Jesus' ministry headquarters was in a city called Capernaum, which was on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. In order to go to Caesarea Philippi, it was a little over 60 miles from Capernaum, but they had to walk. That's where they went, right? They used their feet everywhere they went. It was a four-day journey walking to Caesarea Philippi. I've often wondered now, why would Jesus take his disciples on a four-day journey to this particular spot to ask only two questions? The first question is, who do people say I am? And they answer, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. In other words, people recognize you are sent from God, but they don't know really who you are. And then he asked the second question, the money question. The question that changed all of eternity for you and I. He said, but who do you say I am? Every one of us, man, woman, boy, and girl, at one time or another, have to address that question. We can do it in this life and accept him as our Lord and Savior. We can do it in this life and reject him as our Lord and Savior. And may I tell you, if you choose to reject him... There is yet coming a day when you will confess he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. Every man, woman, boy, and girl ever to walk in shoe leather on this planet will either accept him or reject him at one point in time in their lives. He said, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He made it crystal clear, no ifs, ands, ors, or buts about it. And when you hear that phrase, it should spark this in your mind. There is still only one way to the Father. His name is Jesus. He's the door to the sheepfold. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes into the kingdom of God except by Jesus Christ. He took them that four-day journey for a reason. Caesarea Philippi is located at the base of Mount Hermon, which is the northernmost part of Israel. Mount Hermon is the highest point in the land. It's 9,200 feet. 
Often there's snow on the top of Mount Hermon. You can see it from a great distance. He took them there because at the base of Mount Hermon, there were three temples built to Greek gods, to Zeus, to Pan, and to Nemesis. They were there so pagans could worship a false god, a false idol, something that wasn't real. And also at Mount Hermon, just behind those idols, was a huge opening in the base of that mountain, a cave that descended way back into the mountain. And the people believed that that cave was the door to the underworld. They believed these three Greek gods would go into that cave in the wintertime and stay there out of the cold. They came there to worship in a pagan way, a false image, a false idol. The Caesarea Philippi at that point in Israel was also a place where previously the Israelites had worshipped Baal, pagan worship. Jesus took the disciples there to make this declaration upon this rock, not the rock of Peter, upon the rock of his confession. I am the Christ, the son of the living God. He took them there to hear that confession and to be able to say upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now, folks, I don't know if you're really getting this. It doesn't seem like you are, but I want to help you this morning. I want you to understand. He went to the most pagan point in the country, the place where all kinds of false idols were worshipped, the place where for centuries the Israelites had been worshipping false God. He took them to that place and asked them who he was and then declared, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against my church. What does that mean to you and me? It means no plan of Satan, no scheme of demons, no evil government, no entity, no power, no person used by the enemy will be able to stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want that to seek into your heart and in your mind. And then I want to flesh it out just a bit more. This is in your outline on the back of your bulletin. He used the word build. It's a Greek word that means to construct a house, to build a house. He used that word intentionally. Actually, there's 39 uses of this word in the New Testament. Every one of them mean to build or to build up. That's what we are supposed to be doing through Jesus Christ, advancing the kingdom, building his house. And when I say house, as Yvonne just mentioned, I'm not talking about buildings. I'm not talking about brick and mortar. I'm not talking about mortgage payments and utility bills. I'm talking about the kingdom advancing in the hearts of men and women. Boys and girls, teenagers kneeling before him, confessing him as Lord and Savior, and having their name written in the book of life. That's building the house. Building the kingdom. 39 times it's used in the New Testament. Question, any contractors in the room today? Any builders here this morning? Anybody that's ever built anything in the room this morning? Did you ever try to redo your bathroom or your kitchen or maybe build a front step or maybe put new tile on your floor? Come on, you can be honest. I'm just going to make fun of you. It's okay. Almost all of us have, right? At one time or another. You know what we learned? We learned it's a lot harder than we thought it was. You know, YouTube makes everything look easy, doesn't it? Oh, I'm going to figure this out. I'll just watch a YouTube video. It's not the same. It's not the same. 
It's always harder than you think. It always takes you longer than you think. And it always costs you more than you think. Building is work. And that's what I want you to understand today. Building is work. It requires planning, time, effort, money, blood, sweat, tears. It's work to build. Why is it then that in the kingdom of God, we shy away from work? Why is it we say, let somebody else do it? Why is it we say, be satisfied that I made it to church this morning? It's not me you're trying to please. It's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, I'm not going to stand before him and give account for you. I'm going to give account for me. We need to understand that Christ has called every one of us to be builders. To put our hand to the plow and not look back. To expand the kingdom of God. I want you to understand I'm talking about your salvation. Ephesians 2, 9, or 8 and 9 tell us very clearly. It's by grace you are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. The problem is we stop there. We don't read verse 10. Verse 10 says we are his workmanship created to do good works in Christ Jesus. Walk in them. Good works in Christ Jesus. He's already got a plan for you, folks. He's just waiting for you to get off the pew and plug in. He's waiting for you to catch the vision and understand he's calling you to a work. He's calling you to do something significant in the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 3.11 through 15 says these words that we need to hear. No man can lay a foundation other than that which is being laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, each builder's work will be plainly seen, for the day will make it clear because it will be revealed by fire. What am I telling you? I'm telling you that when you come into the kingdom of God, when you accept his forgiveness, when he becomes your Lord and master, when the Holy Spirit begins dwelling in you, then there falls upon you a responsibility to pick up the mantle and advance the kingdom. It can be done so many different ways, I don't have time to enumerate them. I was so thrilled yesterday when probably 30 people showed up at a Quincy for one reason, and that was to advance the kingdom. Folks, I want you to understand something. We are going there tonight at 6. You're invited to come with us, be a part of the night of worship. We're going there not so that you can have a warm, fuzzy experience, but so that somebody who doesn't know him can meet the Lord and Savior. We're going to advance the kingdom. We're not going to set up a multi-campus site. That's not the plan. The plan is we're advancing the kingdom of God. We're putting our hand to the plow. We're going to work. We're going to labor. We're going to cry. We're going to pray. We're going to sweat. And God will use us to build the church. Building requires time, effort, energy, planning, sweat, blood, tears. It's hard work to build. It's hard work. But we don't want to do that. You see, the 21st century church thinks, you know, if we could just get Pastor Tom to bring out his acoustic guitar, turn the lights down low, hit a C note, no, an E flat, that's more like a church note, uh, chord, right? Strum that chord, we can sit in a circle holding hands, we can begin to worship, and somehow the kingdom just goes forth. Somehow it just works. 
just the way it is. And if we want to get really righteous, we'll say, give us a D minor. Give us some of that Jewish vibe. Then we really feel holy and we think we're advancing the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something. Worship is for your personal edification. It's so as you lift him up, he builds you up. But if you don't do something with that worship, if you don't carry that spirit out with you, if you don't take that zeal and enthusiasm into the marketplace, it's really just about you. And I hate to tell you this, the kingdom's not about you. The kingdom is about him. The kingdom is about he is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Second Corinthians 5, 9 and 10, Paul wrote, So then whether we're alive or away, we make it our ambition to please him. You need to write that scripture down and read it later. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. We make it our ambition to please him. Why? Or verse 10 tells us why. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now let me say again, I'm not talking about your salvation. When you come to Christ, he seals you, you're going to live for him, and your eternity will be with Jesus Christ. I'm talking about what you do with the gospel and the gifts of God after you come to him. He didn't call you to be a pew warmer, although I'm glad you're here this morning. He didn't call you simply to pay tithe, although I'm glad you do. He called you to take the gospel to those who haven't heard. He called you to be a flame that brings light to those that are living in darkness. Yeah, I'm going to say it. The kingdom of God is not advanced on the back of lazy people. It takes someone who understands you got to work to advance the kingdom of God. I grew up on a farm in western Oklahoma, and my dad made sure I knew one thing, and that was how to work. He made sure I didn't mind sweat. He didn't mind blooding my hands. He understood that work required effort. Matter of fact, when Chris introduced me last week, he said, I can't count the number of times that my dad has said to me when I was growing up, I will not have a lazy son. It's absolutely true. And I'm looking at you here today and I'm saying it's time for us to lay aside the laziness, lay aside the slumber, lay aside the casualness and pick up the mantle and advance the kingdom of God. So I'm not even sure that's biblical. We'll read Matthew 25. Beginning in verse, uh, I don't know, I think it's around 13, somewhere in there. Jesus said, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man going to a far country. He called his servants and distributed his goods to them. That's a paraphrase. You can read it on down. It says that he gave to one servant five talents, another two talents, and another one talent. Listen, you need to stop acting like I'm less because I don't have as many talents. It's not about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have continue reading that parable. And he said, after a long time, the master returned. And he called his servants to him. And he said, show me what you've done with what I gave you. Folks, there's going to be a show and tell one day. And Jesus is going to say to you, show me what you've done 
with what I gave you? How have you advanced my kingdom? How have you grown my kingdom? What have you done to build my kingdom? He's going to ask you, what have you done with what I gave you? You can read the story. The one who was given five talents said, Lord, I've increased it by five more. And what did he say? I love this phrase. Well done, good and faithful servant. The next one came that given two talents. He said, what have you done? He said, Lord, I took your two and I made two more. So here's your four back. Well done, good and faithful servant. Then the last one came. And he said, what have you done with the one talent I gave you? And he said, Lord, I know you're a hard man. I know you reap where you didn't sow. I know that you, you would punish people who disobeyed you. I was afraid. Wow. I was afraid. That speaks to contemporary Christianity. I'm afraid of what someone might think of me. I'm afraid of what someone might say about me. I'm afraid of what my family might believe about me. Folks, it's time to get over your fear, get to work, and use the talent that God has given you. And when I say that, I'm not necessarily talking about in this building, in this church. I'm talking about every single day of your life, advancing the kingdom of God with what God has given you. Verse 26 of Matthew chapter 25, it's a startling scripture. The Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. Wow. And you thought I wasn't preaching the Bible? He just called the dude lazy. Why did he call him lazy? Because he was afraid and he hid the talent that he was given. Buried it in the ground and then dug it up when the master came back. God is speaking to people in this room today telling you to stop be afraid and get over your laziness. Get up, get to work, do something to expand the kingdom of God. I want you to notice some things about this guy with one talent. I want you to notice this. He didn't steal the master's talent. He buried it. He didn't squander the master's talent. He didn't invest poorly and lose it. He buried it. He didn't lose it some way. He knew right where it was at because he buried it. This is what he did. He neglected the opportunity that was given to him. Check our hearts right now, Holy Spirit. Are we neglecting opportunities you have put before us? Are we neglecting opportunities that you have allowed us to be a part of because we're afraid or because we're lazy? He left undone. I want you to write this down. He left undone what he had the ability to do. He left undone what he had the ability to do. You see, in Christianity, your life is to be productive. You are to produce fruit. You're to work to expand the kingdom. But many of us sit back saying, well, I can't do what he does or she does, so I just won't do anything. If we can't do a great thing and see our name in lights, we just won't do anything at all. You see, this guy's failure was in his character. It was in his character. He held a wrong view of God. This is in your notes. Wrong conduct is always based on a wrong view of God. He took the talent, he hid it. Had it been his own, he could have done with it as he pleased, but it wasn't. It belonged to his master. Listen to me. 
You have been given gifts that don't belong to you. They belong to your master. And it's time for you and I to step up and not stop neglecting the opportunities that God has put before us. They are not our gifts. We are to steward those gifts and doing so build the kingdom of God. The other two dudes, they were busy. They were working. They were successful. They heard, well done, good and faithful servants. Stop saying, well, somebody else is doing it. I don't have to. No, stop bearing your talent. Dig it up. Use it for the kingdom of God. God has ordained that you and I work in the harvest and reap the harvest. Sometimes I think I tell many per, too many stories. But I've got to tell you this lesson I learned very early in life. We milked cows until I was a freshman in high school. And I learned through that cows do not give milk. A lot of you think they do. Cows do not give milk. Anybody here ever milked a cow? A few of you. Okay, so you're with me then. You understand. You have to go out early in the morning. You use a cattle whip and you drive those cattle into the barn. You get them to put their head in a stanchion because there's some grain there they can eat. And then you squeeze their neck as tight as you can squeeze it to hold them in place. And then if you're smart, you grab a pair of hobbles. And you take their back legs and you tie them together with those hobbles so they can't kick you in the face or other places. And then there's one more problem. That cow has a tail. And that tail, 90% of the time, is covered in cow manure. And you don't want to get slapped in the face with that tail. So you take the tail and you tuck it under your knee and you hold it tight just like that. Then you take your little one-legged stool and your milk bucket and you sit down underneath that cow and you begin to milk her. Cows don't give milk. You have to milk them. Understand today, friend, nothing is free. You've got to do it. You've got to invest. You've got to make it happen through the power of God. Every day you and I face a choice, the easy way or the hard way. The easy way or the hard way. The easy way is procrastination. The easy way of sleeping in. The easy way of saying it doesn't matter. Nobody's watching me. They won't even miss me. The easy way says, take it easy. The easy way says, slow down. The easy way says, back up. Be careful. Don't have a heart attack. The easy way says, tomorrow. The easy way has no plans, no forethought, no enthusiasm, no diligence. That's the easy way. It's soft and cuddly. But it's the way of laziness that does not advance the kingdom of God. Understand, every one of us are born on the easy way. Because that's the way of our sin nature. Do as little as possible. Find a shortcut. Cut some corners. Pull some strings. Take it easy. Don't work too hard. Where's the fire? Slow down, man. The easy way. God's not in the easy way. He's over on the hard road. He's not with couch potatoes. Well, I shouldn't say that. He is with you. You know, one concept I'll never understand is why God saves lazy people. Because he loves you, I guess. But you're not doing much to advance the kingdom. And he certainly can't count on you because you can't even get out of bed and come to church. Get out of bed and come to church. 
Get out of your pajamas. Quit drinking your coffee in the living room with your feet up on the coffee table, worshiping God, saying, I got an experience. Can I tell you? We watch online when we're out of town. And there's been a lot of times I've said, eh, I don't even think I'd go to that church if this is what it has. But when I come in the house, when I'm with believers, when the Holy Spirit is present and moving and flowing, when I can get a hug and a smile and a handshake, when someone can pray for me or encourage me or push me forward, it's in that place God does things in my life. But it's the hard way. The hard way. I'm done with COVID, folks. It's time to stop using that for an excuse to stay out of the house of God. It's time to get back in and let God do what God wants to do in your heart and in your life. Every one of us would rather be on the easy road. It's much more comfortable. But God's not there. God's not there. He's over on the hard road. And when we follow God and we work hard, listen, He takes us to hard places. He takes us to difficult situations. He takes us where if he doesn't show up, we're going to fail. When Yvonne and I came eight years ago, I knew that's the way it was. If he doesn't show up, we're going to fall flat on our face. They're going to run us out before the year is over if God doesn't show up. And believe me, they tried. But we're still here. Why? Because God called us. He put us on the hard road. He said, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll fill your mind and your heart with wisdom, guidance, and direction. I'll bring in. Did you realize when you raised your hands a minute ago, over half of you were not here eight years ago? That's an amazing thing. God's on the hard road. I'll never forget several years ago, I had a team of 80 people in Durango, Mexico. We're building two churches at the same time, holding services at night every single night in both of those churches. One church was huge for Mexico, it'd seat probably five or six hundred. I was on that job most of the time, encouraging them, laying blocks, keeping it going. That one was a very small church, maybe seat a hundred. But when we got down there and I saw that job site, the slab was poured, and then there was a big old hole in the floor at the front. And I thought, well, somebody has some vision. Because they poured a baptistry. Don't have a single convert in this house, but they got a baptistry. And I'll never forget, I had a man with me. His name was Tom. He was a retired rocket scientist, literally, worked for NASA. And he was deaf. Tom was working on that little job at a little church. And he was about 20 foot up in the air on a ladder. And below him was that concrete baptistry, about another five foot below the floor. I don't know how, what happened. I wasn't there. I heard the story secondhand. But somehow Tom fell. Seventy-some years old, from 20 foot off the ground, down another five foot to a concrete floor, and he smacked. Everybody there thought he was dead. Tom hopped up, big old smile on his face. He said, oh no, the angels held me. It's like I landed on a feather bed. Folks, when you go to the hard place, God always shows up. Quit avoiding the hard place and move to where God wants you to be. Let him show up in your life. When we're willing to work and go to the hard places to expand the kingdom, it opens the door for God to do things that you thought were impossible. Jeremiah 32, 27, I'm the God of all flesh. What is too hard for me? 
I'm going to preach on that next Sunday. What's too hard for God? I'm tired of hearing it's too hard. It's too difficult. It can't be done. Oh, you're not serving the same God I serve because the God I serve says there is nothing impossible for me. What is too hard for me? My arm is not shortened. My ear is not different. I hear your cry. And if you'll step out and engage in the kingdom, he shows up. He shows up. He shows up. It's an amazing thing when we decide I'm not going to be deterred because it's hard. I'm going to press in. This week I was trying to remember and I couldn't even count the number of times. That people in this church have said to me, Pastor Tallahassee is a hard place. Tallahassee is a dark place. No one has success in Tallahassee. Billy Graham couldn't even do it in Tallahassee. I've heard that time and time and time and time again. Well, I've come to tell you this morning, yes, it is a hard place. That's why we're here. We're here to say the hard place will not stop us, will not be deterred. We're going to press in, move forward, and see what only God can do. If you stay in the arena that you can manage everything, you can handle everything, you will never see God do mighty things in your life. You have got to step out, move into the hard places, move to the place where it's beyond your scope, beyond your experience. Your education doesn't matter. Your abilities don't matter. Only God matters. And when you step into that place, God always shows up. He always comes on strong. He proves himself time and time and time and time and time again. Is there anything too hard for me? Matthew 9, I'm going to close with the scripture. Matthew 9, 37 and 38. Jesus had been ministering in the villages around Capernaum. He saw the great needs. His heart was broken. And he came back and he said these words to the 12 that followed him, the disciples. The harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest field. Two words I want you to notice. Number one was laborers. From the Greek, it's actually translated toilers. Toilers. You know what that means? It means sweat, blood, and tears. It means blisters on your hand. It means your back is aching. Toilers. He's looking for people who are willing to go the extra mile, do the extra thing, say the extra word, expend the extra money to build the kingdom of God. He's looking for laborers. It's not a fun term. My brother-in-law was a brick mason, one of the best in western Oklahoma. And when I was in high school, if he had jobs out around Fairview, I would work for him. No, he didn't let me lay brick. You know what he let me do? He let me mix mortar with a hoe and a shovel and a wheelbarrow. And then he let me carry that mortar to him, whether it was a grand level or two stories up or three stories up. And then he said, the other thing you're going to do is you're going to carry my bricks. And I'd carry those bricks from the ground up to where he was working. I was his laborer. Do you hear what I'm saying? There is no place in the kingdom for lazy people. He's calling us to be laborers, toilers, to expend time, sweat, energy, effort, money to advance the kingdom of God. Laborers. 
That word can also be translated as harvesters, reapers, reapers, bringing in the harvest. I want you to notice one thing. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest field. That word send forth is the Greek word ekbalo. And it doesn't mean just Lord anoint them, bless them and let them go out. Let's raise some money. No, it means to push them out, to eject them, even with violence. Get them out. Here you go, Wilford, just like that. Get them out. Here you go, Isaiah, just like that. Get them out. Good job, Stephen. Get them out. That came to you, so it's your responsibility. Get them out. Thrust them into the harvest field. Jesus made it clear in John chapter 9. I've got to work the works of him who sent me while it is yet day. For the night comes when no man can work. Folks, he's not talking about daylight. He's talking about this time, this dispensation, this moment in the history of God's calendar. This is the time you and I have to be laborers in the harvest field. Somebody says, well, I'm just not sure I can do that. Come help. Come see me. I'll help you. I'll be happy to help you. I wear boots all the time, and I assure you, I can give you a boost into the harvest field. Come on, it's time to recognize passive Christianity has got to die. It's time for people to burn themselves out for the kingdom of God. Someone says, I got to be careful. I don't want to burn out. No, you'll rust out instead. It's time to burn for the kingdom. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's time to work. Tom, come back. It's time to work. It's time to be involved in the harvest. Growing up on that farm, we raised wheat, we raised cotton. I remember as a boy, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, we'd hoe that cotton in the summertime, getting all the weeds out of it. Because my dad didn't believe in mechanization. He had kids. When we left, suddenly there's a cultivator that'll pull behind the tractor and do the same thing. I can remember pulling that old cotton sack behind me down those rows. It was hot. It was dirty. It was sweaty. Made blisters on your shoulder where the sack came across. Your hands would be bloody from the cotton bowls and picking them off that plant. It was work. He bought a cotton stripper after I left home. Go figure that out. He had 80 acres of irrigated alfalfa. Whole time I was growing up, he bailed it into square bales. I hauled every one of those. I picked them up to put them on the trailer. I picked them off the trailer to stack them in the barn. And then I picked them out of the barn to feed to the cattle. Labor intensive. It is labor intensive to build the kingdom of God. He wants you to be involved. He's looking for harvesters, reapers, toilers, laborers who'll be involved in the harvest. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Father, in this room this morning, there are people who are not a part of your kingdom yet. They haven't accepted you as the Lord and Savior. They haven't asked you to forgive them and to transform their lives yet. But today is their day. Holy Spirit, you've been talking to them, convicting them, drawing them, wooing them, urging them, and now give them the courage to respond. You're in this room this morning. 
you need Jesus to forgive you, to change you, to come into your life, right where you sit, slip that hand up high. I'm going to pray for you right where you're at. Slip that hand up and hold it there until I see it. Stand your feet with me across this room. This message is for you and for me. Maybe you've been involved, but today God is talking to you about ratcheting up your game. Doing more than you've ever done before. Not neglecting opportunities that are before you. That's you. Just a moment, Tom's going to begin to sing. And as he does, that's you. You want to step it up. Step out and come. We're going to pray together this morning. A supernatural anointing will be released over you. God is going to use you as you never dreamt possible. Come on. No way from anybody else. It's your opportunity. This is your time to receive from God. You made it to the end of the message. And now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 1030 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.